0: Today, we're continuing our series um, through the book of Acts. We're talking about essentials of the church. We're talking about the essentials of the church. And so we're going to spend the summer kind of looking at, you know, if, we were, if we're called to be the Acts church, if, if that's the goal, if that's the vision, if that's the heart of the church, that we would reflect the Acts church, then we've got to know what's essential to the Acts church. And so we spent the last four weeks talking about one of the essentials of the Acts church. That's the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we, we, we talked about the power of the church being the Holy Spirit. And so we um, spent a lot of time talking about that. Now we're going to shift a little bit to another essential of the church, which is the gospel. The gospel. Now, you may, um, you may have heard of the Gospel before, but the Gospel really became a buzzword about 10-15 years ago. Gospel really became a buzzword about 10-15 years ago. People started writing all kinds of books um, on, on the Gospel, even though it's been around for uh, since the beginning, uh, the Gospel. And we're going to talk about what the Gospel is today. It really became a buzzword. Kind of like you know, when I was growing up, right? When I was growing up, Jesus, um, just, just saying, saying the name Jesus... Would go to a whole nother level when you heard a preacher say Jesus. Anybody else grow up Pentecostal? Okay, me. Okay, anyway, thank you. Okay, see those hands. Um, and 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 right. And, and so it kind of took a whole nother meaning. It took the name of Jesus to a whole nother level. Well, you know, fifteen years ago when the gospel really became a, a buzzword and and, and and churches became focused on it, which is great. Um, um, it you know you had to say it with kind of a little bit of a kind of a coffee, kind of a coffee shop spin to it, like the gospel, you know, like the the gospel, you know, you can't, you can't just, you know, and so it kind of became, kind of became a buzzword, and people started, you know, spinning pages and pages and pages and sermons and sermons and sermons on what is the gospel. Well, I want to define it for you this morning. The gospel is the good news. At the, at the very core of the gospel, the gospel is the good news. Everybody say good news. Good news. It's the good news of who? Jesus. Jesus. Very good. We got it. Let's pray and go home. <laughs> Just kidding. Lunch isn't ready yet. Um, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. And, and so, and so here's, here's where I think we, we kind of... Money the waters when it comes to the gospel, right? See, um, the best way to illustrate this for me is to think about seltzer water. Okay, seltzer water. So for me, um, I've been on a seltzer water kick for quite a few months now. Seltzer water kick. I love it, love it, love it. Anybody else love seltzer water? No? Okay, I see those heads shaking. Bless your hearts. Okay. Um, This message is for you today. no, but uh, but I've been on a real seltzer water kick, and so a few months ago I was like, you know, I wonder how good seltzer water is for you. I should really look into this because I was drinking it like it was going out of style. You know, I just couldn't get enough of it, couldn't get enough of it. So I googled it, and 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 you know, it came up. You know, seltzer, how you know, is seltzer water good for you? You know, and the first article that came up was it's great for you, right? Seltzer water's better. Than, than normal water for your body. I was like, great, that's awesome, right? So I went around telling Kristen, because I was trying to get her to get me a soda stream, you know, and all, all that stuff. Like, I was like, sultra water is better for you than normal water and all that. And so, you know, a couple weeks went by, and, you know, I'd only read that one article. So then I go back and research, research it a little bit more, and I see all of the articles, right, all of the articles that say, No, actually, you should limit seltzer water to like mealtime. You should; it's not really good. You still need to have real water all the time, which to me is just so boring, right? But um, it's not. Why that applies to the gospel is this: we can find anything that we want to to support what we want to believe. Did you notice that? What we want to believe. Not what's there to believe. But, we, but, but the issue with the Gospel and us lately is that we've been trying to add our flavor and add what makes us feel good and add what makes sense and add what we think people want to hear to the good news of Jesus so that it becomes socially acceptable. True? Right? When really it's best for us in its purity. The good news of Jesus. In the first service, he didn't do it this time, but when in the first service, when I asked what the gospel was, Herb just shouted out John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God so loved you, that God so loved me, that He gave Jesus that whosoever, we're going to talk about it a couple more times uh, today in the message from Acts chapter 2, that whosoever, the gospel is available for everyone, say everyone, Exactly, the Gospel is available for everyone that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting hope of eternal life. Isn't that awesome? That's the good news of Jesus. That's the basic, purest, good news of Jesus. And the Gospel has some implications on our life. And so Peter, Peter here, which, um, which is a testimony in itself, Peter here in Acts chapter 2 is preaching the first apostolic sermon post-resurrection that we have recorded. Luke is recording it because Luke is the author of the book of Acts. But Peter, right, the same Peter that began sinking because he took his eyes off of Jesus when he was walking on water, the same Peter that promised Jesus he wouldn't deny him three times and then denied him three times and then Jesus restored him three times, that same Peter, that same guy is now preaching the first apostolic sermon we have post-resurrection in the book of Acts. What? a testimony. That just goes to prove God can use broken things. God can use broken people. Right? Peter, and so one of the things that Peter talks about in this message is the gospel of Jesus. And so we're going to look at it, but, but before we do, one, one thing about information, information without application leads to frustration, but likewise, inspiration without information can also lead to frustration. And so one thing we're going to see about Peter's message is that it's information and application. It's information, it's inspiration, and transformation. So let's read. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 14. Peter says this. Or excuse me, Luke says this. And, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Peter says, men of Judea, And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord." comes and great and magnificent the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone, get that, everyone, one more time, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here in the first part of Peter's three-part sermon, notice that he's a good preacher, three-part sermon. In the first part of his three-part sermon, he explains this. He explains what happened. He's explaining what had happened in the first uh, chapter and a half or so of Acts, because some big, big things had happened. The Holy Spirit had come, and it seemed, it seemed to be kind of a, a, a crazy thing that all these people were speaking in different languages, but then all of a sudden, they understood each other, and they were speaking in different tongues, and yet everybody understood what the other was saying. And so Peter is explaining what had happened, and what had happened is that the Holy Spirit had come. The Holy Spirit had come. So I want you to see that the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, brings understanding, kind of like we talked about with the Holy Spirit. It brings clarity and perspective. It brings understanding and chaos. It does not bring more confusion. God is not the author of confusion. And one of the things that we have to grasp today about the gospel, and specifically the pro- proclamation of the gospel, and I may have said this before, but repetition is never bad, St. Francis of Assisi said this, Preach the Gospel always, when necessary, use words. Right? When necessary, use words. Preach the Gospel always, when necessary, use words. Great quote, until we use it as an excuse to not use words. And one thing I've been really convicted about lately and, and, and I shared it a couple weeks ago at Johnny and Friends when I was, when I was uh, speaking with those folks and, and I've shared it quite a bit lately is that we in the church have got to use words. We've got to use words. Did you know upwards of 90% of people would come to church if they were invited? When is the last time, and I, and I asked this in the first service, and somebody came up to me in between services and said, man, I had a conversation yesterday with these folks, told them what Jesus has been doing in my life, and he was just in tears. You could tell yesterday, rocked his world for Jesus, and it was awesome. But when's the last time that you went to a neighbor, you went to a coworker, you went to your husband, you went to your wife, and just said, man, can I tell you what God's been doing in my life? Can I tell you what I've been learning from the Scriptures? Can I tell you what I've been praying about lately, can I just share with you some cool things that have been happening? Preach the gospel always, when necessary, use words, but please use words, but please use words. Proclaim the good news of Jesus. You know the most powerful witnessing tool you have is what God's doing in your life, what what God's done in your life. Your testimony. A few weeks ago, we were at a men's retreat, and we had, we had, I don't even know, 15 guys, pastor numbers. We had about 150 guys there. It was unbelievable. And um, it was awesome. But we had about 15 guys, and, and, and one night, and, I, and I, thought it, I thought, I don't think he's in here, so I, I'll say this. No, I'm just kidding. He, he knows this. But, but I, I thought it was kind of a bad idea. Because you know, I, it's just going to take really, really long time. But but Eric came to me, kind of was leading the men's retreat, and he's our men's ministry leader, and he said, "We're going to have every guy share their testimony tonight." I was like, "Oh great, right?" Jeez, you know, this is going to be forever. You know, you give Mark a microphone, it's just going to, sheesh, you know. But but you know what? That was the most beautiful. I don't even know how long it was because it didn't matter. Like it didn't even matter. It was just amazing to listen to these guys and their stories and what they chose to share about how God has worked in their life and moved in their life. And the guys that were there are sitting there nodding their heads right now because the time didn't matter. We had like a three and a half hour worship service that night and it didn't even matter because it was just amazing to hear how God has moved in these guys' lives and is still moving in their lives. It was awesome. It was amazing. The most powerful witnessing tool that we have is our testimony. Not some degree. Not some credentials. Not this. Not that. What God is doing in our own life. What we're learning. What we're praying about. Where we're seeing God move. So preach the Gospel always. When necessary, use words. But please, use words. Proclaim the good news of Jesus out of your own life. And so Peter... He's explaining what had happened, and what had happened is that the Holy Spirit had come, just as promised. We're going to get to that in the second part of his sermon, just as promised. But he's bringing understanding in the midst of a of a, of a pretty pretty um, uh, confusing thing to an outsider, right? And so he's bringing understanding. He's bringing. Clarity that this joyful worship that was happening among these people, among these people that had just received the Holy Spirit, was not the result of too much wine. And and I love that he puts in because it was only the third hour of the day. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's just awesome. He he put that in there like, hey, guys, don't be crazy. It's only the third hour of the day. They're not drunk. Okay? Okay? They didn't go to bloop. Anyway, sorry. But it was, the, it was the evidence of the Holy Spirit that God had sent to dwell in His people. But it was the Holy Spirit. So He's bringing understanding. He's bringing clarity. Listen to me. Again, the Gospel brings clarity. Does not cause confusion. If you ever hear somebody proclaiming the Gospel and it causes confusion, it's not the Gospel. It's a false Gospel. It's a false Gospel. It brings Clarity. He's bringing clarity to what had happened. The second part of his sermon, let's read, verses 22 through 35. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, verse 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him, uh, killed by the hands of lawless men. It's an easy sermon, nice easy listening. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the pains of Of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, I know I read that a little fast, but I want to make sure we caught that last verse there. Verse 24 God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It meaning death. It was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. That's a good place to say amen. For David, says concerning him I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken look at the promises that Peter is proclaiming for the church look at the promises that people that Peter is proclaiming out of the gospel of Jesus over people that I may not be shaken that I may not be shaken therefore my heart was glad my tongue rejoiced my flesh also will dwell in Hope. I mean, how many of us, don't raise your hand, don't shake your head, don't nod your head, but just think about this. Hear this in your heart. How many of us can sit here this morning and say, I'm not shaken. My heart is glad. My tongue is rejoicing. My flesh is dwelling in the hope of Jesus this morning. Because that's the Gospel. That's God's heart for you. That is the promise of the good news of Jesus. That I can stand firm, not shaken, my heart be glad, no matter what trial, no matter what situation, no matter what circumstance, my heart is glad, my tongue is rejoicing, it's not critical, it's not negative, it is rejoicing, my flesh is dwelling in the hope of Jesus because He is eternal, He's everlasting, He loves me, no matter what. That's good. Verse 27, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence, full of promises there. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he, did not abandon, uh, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore, get this, verse 33, this is a good place to underline, therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So first, in the first part of his sermon, he, says, he explains what had happened, that the Spirit had come. The second part of his sermon, he spends explaining how it happened explaining how, what had happened, had happened. And here's the truth, that Jesus was alive. That Jesus was alive. That Jesus was alive. And so, in order to prove that, he gives three proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. The first proof was the person of Jesus. Look at verses 20-24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter's audience knew that Jesus was a real person from the town of Nazareth, and that He had performed many signs and miracles. They had heard Him speak. They had watched His life. It was clear that God's hand was upon them. And so Peter's first proof that, that Jesus was alive and that, and, that, and that because He was alive, the Holy Spirit had come, and all of, all of these things, was, that, was the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. Who Jesus was. And it's so important for us today to get to know the person of Jesus. Second proof is found in verse 33. He says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The second proof was the witness of the believers was the witness of the people standing there. Was the witness of the people that had just in Acts 1 watched Jesus ascend into heaven as alive. As alive. The witness of the believers. After His resurrection, Jesus didn't appear to the whole world at large, but to His own followers whom He had commissioned to give witness to others that He was alive they had seen him and they could testify that he was who he said he was it's incredible to um i think i've mentioned this a couple times lately in talking about the book of acts but um about 12 years ago uh um yeah about 12 years ago kristen and i went to israel and, and it came to the day where we were going to go to the tomb, the garden tomb, right? Which was awesome. And so, you know, I had been raised in Sunday school class and all of that, and I'd seen the felt boards, and I'd studied the pictures. And so I expected the garden tomb, right, to be out in this desert, right? Nothing really around. And so, you know, I, 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 you know, I expected the garden tomb to kind of be out, you know, out away from the city and all of that. And so when, when our bus, which if you've ever ridden in a bus in Israel, you know that is a faith move in itself right but when our bus pulled up and stopped right in right in downtown jerusalem and, 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 and our tour guide said, okay, we're going to get out here. We're going to the Garden Tomb. Everybody ready? And sure enough, the signs of the Garden Tomb are there. Right, And you walk up, and, and it's and it's unbelievable to, to look because it's right next to this bus station, right? It's right next to this bus station. There's a little hill there. There's sure as day the skull in the side of the hill. And then there's, there's this little door because the, the, the stone that was rolled away is no more. There's this little door, and, and, it's, and it's wooden. It's really pretty. It has this sign on it. He's not here. He's risen indeed or something. like that and you walk in and 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 you walk into where they had buried Jesus and guess what he ain't in there (laughs) he's not there and and everybody that's walking in right we all knew the story we were liberty students (laughs) see that see what I did there anyway we all knew the story right and and so we're you know we're walking in and we're all like in amazement Right? This is the garden too. This is where Jesus is supposed to be, but he's not here because he's in heaven. He went to prepare a place for us, right? That's awesome. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's an unbelievable experience. But he ain't in there. Why isn't he in there? John 14 tells us that he went to prepare a place for us, right? Jesus is telling his disciples how everything's about to go down and We've talked about this a lot over the last few weeks because that's where He promises the Holy Spirit. I've got to go because I've got to make way for this, this Helper that's going to come and help you. Right? So I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, why would I say it? Jesus says. If this weren't so, why would I have told you so? Right? Right? Second proof that Peter gives of the resurrection as the witness of the believers because they had all gone to the tomb. They had all seen the resurrection. Number three. 33 through 35. We just read 33, so I'm going to read 34 and 35. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What a promise. Until I make your enemies your footstool. The third proof of the resurrection was the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have just spent four weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, but we've got, we got to go here real quick because this is in Peter's talk and it's one of his proofs of the resurrection and was the presence of the Holy Spirit. So follow this logic with me. I had three young boys in the first service. They were sitting right over here in the third row where Jen's sitting with Anita and Jim and, and they followed this logic and I'm so proud of them because they nodded their heads at the end of it. They got it. So let's see if you guys can get it. If the Holy Spirit is in the world... Right, which we just talked about that for the last four weeks, right? If the Holy Spirit is in the world, then God must have sent him, right? Joel in the Old Testament promised that one day the Holy Spirit would come, and Jesus himself, right? John 14, we just talked about that. Jesus himself had promised to send the gift of the Holy Spirit to his people, the Helper. But if Jesus is dead, right, because he's talking about the proof of the resurrection, if Jesus is dead, he cannot send the Spirit of God. Therefore, Jesus must be alive. Furthermore, he could not send the Holy Spirit unless He had returned to heaven to the Father. So Jesus had ascended into heaven. You see that? Peter had... No, not Peter. Jesus had to have ascended into heaven so that He could be with Father to send the Holy Spirit. The third proof of the resurrection that, Jesus, that Peter gives here is that Jesus had sent the Holy Spirit, the the presence of the Holy Spirit among the people, what he was bringing understanding to in the first part of his sermon. Peter did not present the cross as the place where Jesus died for the world. He presented the cross to these people as where the people killed their own Messiah. So was there any hope I'm glad you asked. Because that's the third part of Peter's sermon. The transformation piece. He's given understanding. He's given information. The four proofs of the resurrection. He's done this. He's done that. And here's where the good news came in. Here's where the hope came in. Verses 36-41. through 41. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? Now, I've got to pause right here and I've got to chase a rabbit real quick. Is that okay? Okay, good. I'm glad you said yes because it was going to happen anyway. I want you to notice what he says there. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't make me um, uh, think. That doesn't make me think. That doesn't make me feel like at the end of this, when Peter went to the side of the hill, right? When back, back, back behind all the people. And all the people started to leave that they shook his hand and said, man, best sermon you've ever preached. Thank you, brother. That was just unreal. Thank you so much. Just a real good job today. Real good job. A couple minutes over, but a real good job today. Real good job today. When, when it says there, when Luke says there, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That makes me think, Man, they were really challenged. They were really moved to transformation. They were cut to the heart. They were cut deep. You know, one of my hopes, and I know this is kind of a play on words, okay? It's it's semantics, right? I, I get that. I get that. But one of my hopes every Sunday morning is that you don't like the message. Because if you always like the message, then guess what? You're not being challenged by the gospel, And so, if you walk out of here every Sunday morning and say, "Man, that Pastor Travis, he's just so nice and sweet and cuddly and all, all that, and just he just does a fine sermon. He does a fine sermon." Then we're not then we're not connecting right, because because one thing about the gospel is that it cuts to the heart. The gospel cuts deep. These people were cut to the heart, but I want you to see the transformation. Okay. Pause on that. We've got to see the transformation. And I'm going to come back to that. Make sure I come back to that. Somebody's got to make sure I come back to that. Okay? Cut, cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's the gospel, church. Here's the good news. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself, and with many other words, He bore witness. Get that? Many other words. Many other words. See that? Many other words. He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, "Save yourselves from this crooked generation." So those who received His word were baptized. Here it comes. Here it comes. And there were added that day about three thousand souls. Glory to God. Man. What a whew, what a revival. 3000 souls were added that day. Can you imagine with me, Eddie? Can you imagine what it would be like to be in downtown Portland, to be to be somewhere and, and preach the gospel and see 3000 people repent and be baptized. Whew. Man, well, that can't happen to. Why not? Why not? I bet if Pastor Rick preached, it would happen. <laughs> He's preaching in a couple of weeks right here. Bring your friends. Let's see 3,000. I won't, anyway. So, jumping back, cut to the heart. I want you to see something. I want you to see something. And this is nothing against our worship team. Our worship team's awesome, aren't they? nothing against Ian doing announcements the announcements are necessary all that stuff we've got to know all those things Ian does a great job and, and all that We're, yeah okay but you, but you notice there was no music you notice there was no bulletin you, you, you see where I'm going with this there's nothing to kind of raise the emotion level. There's nothing. There was. It was just the word of God proclaimed that transformed those lives. I heard this this past week. It rocked me. You know the two things that last forever. Never go away. Two things that last forever. The first thing, your soul. Second thing, God's word. Two things that last forever. So the guy that was telling me that, he was like, so why do you invest so much of your time outside of those two things? None of your business. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so true, isn't it? Our souls in God's Word, only two things that last forever, yet we get so worked up about so many things. Can I tell you the gospel is simple? Peter stood in front of these people and proclaimed God's word. And 3,000 people came to know Jesus. So, we see there, we we see what happened. The Spirit had come. We see how it happened. Jesus was alive. Four proofs there. And then number three, He explained why it happened. Why did it happen? To save sinners. To bring hope to a hopeless people. To bring hope to a hopeless people. Why did all of this happen? Why did all of this happen? Why did the Spirit come? To bring hope. To give hope. The Holy Spirit used Peter's message to convict the hearts of the listeners. Peter told them how to be saved. Peter told them how to have this this eternal hope. They had to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus, right? 3,000 people repented, believed, were saved. Now, I want you to just notice with me real quick as we're kinda of landing the plane this morning, I want you to notice real quick four keys to the sermon from Peter. Number one, the the first recorded apostolic sermon, right, we talked about that, post Jesus, was biblical throughout. It was biblical throughout. He didn't stand up and give his latest views of public opinion or a psychology lesson. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. I can't tell you the number of times. I can't tell you the number of times. And I'm not being critical. I'm not, you know, just like with the worship team. Our worship team's awesome. Just like these folks, they're awesome. They're great. But listen, Mm. I can't tell you the number of times I've had people walk away from me. Because I wouldn't preach on a certain thing. And man, I think about some of them, and man, it hurts. it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. To think about some of the people that should be sitting right there. To think about some of the people that should be sitting right where Tammy's sitting. To think about some of the people that should be sitting right where Joe is sitting. Think about some of the people that should be sitting right right down here, and they, and they would come to me and they'd say, man, you've got to preach about this, our culture's dealing you've got to preach about this L- listen, listen. And, and I try to be real sensitive to this. <laughs> I preach what God wants me to preach, and that's it. Suggestions are welcome, but don't be offended if i don't stand up and preach on the latest political issue. Because this is a pulpit. This isn't a political debate lectern. It's not. I'm a pastor. I'm not a politician. I know enough about politics to be really dangerous. Well, pastor, you should, you should know more about it. Well, politics don't last forever. The Word of God and, and my soul does. And so I'm going to spend a lot more time investing in that than, than politics. God called some of you to be really political. And that's awesome. And I'm thankful for you and I'm grateful for you. Go out there and kick butt for Jesus in the political realm. That's, I would love for you to do that. That's not me. I'll, I'll do it from here. I'll do it from here. Some people want me to preach on homosexuality. Some people want me to preach on gluttony. Some people want me to preach on this. Some people want me to take a stand on that. Listen, if I take a stand on everything, guess what? Eventually, I disqualify myself from the pulpit. Because guess what? I'm a sinner too. Sorry to disappoint some of you. <laughs> and I'm, 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 I'm cutting to the heart this morning. Trust me, this is cutting me to the heart. But Peter's sermon was biblical. It wasn't about the latest policies or procedures. It wasn't about this. It wasn't about that. It was about God's Word. It was about the good news of Jesus. And Jesus is the only one that can change people. God help us if we think that Trump can change people or Obama can change people or or Sean Moody can change people, that old mucky muck, or or whoever can, can change people. No, 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 no. Listen, let's get this right. Jesus is the only one that can change people. And so I will proclaim that truth from this pulpit. Okay? It was biblical. The other thing he didn't do is he didn't tickle their ears. He didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. He didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. He just preached God's good news of hope for those people. It was biblical. Number two, in the course of his sermon, Peter took people to the person and work of Jesus. And we've kind of already talked about this because again, Jesus is the center of the preaching. Jesus is the only one that can change people. He took people right to the person and work of Christ. Number three, he preached fearlessly. He preached fearlessly. Let me say, it's easy to be bold when you're preaching to the choir. It's easy to be bold when you're preaching to the choir. Some people say this, I haven't necessarily found it to be true yet. In my preaching, in my time as a pastor, but they say it's supposed to be easy for a preacher to be bold when he's in his own pulpit. That's what they say. That's what they say. Nonetheless, no matter where it was, Peter preached boldly. And we're, to, we're called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, boldly. People's lives, people's eternity is depending on it. And lastly, Peter's sermon was preached reasonably. It was reasonably. He preached reasonably. He didn't play to the emotions of his hearers. He reasoned with them, showing them the rational character of the truth proclaimed in Scripture. He gave them information and talked about how transformative the information was, and then gave them a chance to transform. Peter just didn't give them a bunch of truth and walk away. He showed them the Scripture, the proof of what he was saying. So, when we preach, we teach, when we walk, when we go to work, when we live, when we parent, when we husband, when we wife, we must do so biblically, Christ centered, fearlessly, and reasonably. That was Peter's message. That was Peter's message. And that's the gospel, the good news of Jesus that he loves us and that he wants to spend forever with us and that. He made a way through His Son, the person and work of Christ, that we could have hope forever. The worship team's going to come. As they do. I'm going to tell you a story. A time I was in Atlanta, Georgia. I was in my senior year of high school. And I was kind of co-leading a a, a trip. We took some teenagers down to a worship conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, we we had an extended break one afternoon. And so, I decided I was going to take some of the students down right from our hotel. There was a Bass Pro Shops, right? Bass Pro Shops. Have you ever been in Bass Pro Shops? <laughs> it's like Cabela's, man. You just walk in there. <laughs> anyway, all right, all right. So you just walk in. So we we took I took some of the students down, and my youth pastor took some other students to another place, and then another one of our leaders took them to took some students to the pool, and we we're just we we're just kind of hanging out and. I wanted to go to Bass Pro Shops because I wanted to play with the stink bait, but anyway, anyway, um, and, and so I uh, leave, leave um, Bass Pro, and walking out in the parking lot, and I see these three guys sitting in a the convertible, they're sitting in a convertible, and so, you know, I, w- I was, I had a bold moment, I had a really bold moment, I was like, you know what, um, I'm gonna go strike up a conversation with these guys, and so I walk over, and start talking to these guys, and the two guys that were in the front they they started talking to a couple of our students and and the guy in the back seat and i just connected and so i i said man you know what do you think about jesus and he kind of you you kind of tell like he was almost frustrated that i would ask him he was almost frustrated that i would ask him what do you what do you mean i said no i just just tell me what you think about jesus he said it was funny you should ask he said, I was raised in church and, and all of this and all of that. He said, but I went to a Christian school and it wrecked me with Jesus. I was like, oh, funny. I go to a Christian school. Christian high school. And he's like, yeah. He's like, and he, told me, he quoted this quote to me about Brendan Manning, which was really made popular back in the 90s by a little band called DC Talk. Okay, DC Talk. And if you've never heard of DC Talk, it's the real Toby Mac. Okay? Yes. It's when Toby Mac was real. anyway, And DC Talk put out a song, um, I think it was What If I Stumble, back in the mid-90s. And at the beginning of that song, they quote Brennan Manning by saying, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Did you catch that? This guy in the back of this convertible is quoting me this. I'm a senior in high school, and I'm like, just wanted to know what you thought about Jesus. And he looks at me and he says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Ouch, will you get off my toes? Who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, turn and walk out the door, and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And he said, "I went to a Christian school, and well, I hung out with all these people and all these teachers and stuff. That in the classroom we talk about the Scripture we were memorizing. We talk about this, we talk about that, and it was so great. And we'd all pray, and we'd all do this. He's like, but then when we get to the parking lot, we were completely different people." And it drove me crazy. And so I just said, you know what? I'm done with all that. I'm done with all that. I was like, man, I get it. I've seen the same things. I've seen the same things. I've seen the same things. I don't remember that guy's name. I can see him. I can tell you what he was wearing. The convertible, maybe the whole reason I went over there, it was a beautiful Carolina blue gorgeous and I wish I could sit here and tell you man I prayed with that guy right there he received Jesus, we went down to the lake I baptized him we text each other all the time, we snapchat almost every day but that's not so many of us have a similar experience though don't we Seeking something real. Authentic. Peter preached this message. I love the simplicity of it. I love the simplicity of it. I, 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 you know, I, I love the days. Like, like I can tell you, my favorite worship service. One of my favorite worship services I've ever been a part of. In fact, my top five. Five. You know what doesn't exist in those memories and those in those experiences? A sound system. No offense, Jeff. Projection. A lot of them don't even include seats. The simplicity of the gospel. The real, authentic, simple gospel. That God loved you so much. He wanted a relationship with you forever. He made a way for that relationship forever through Jesus, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And He gives us a Holy Spirit helper to help us get there, to help us every day of our lives with the power and the strength that we need to follow God. The people in your life, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, people are looking for, for the real gospel. People are looking for real, authentic transformation news. Not what they see on TV. Real. And I pray, my prayer as we talk the next few weeks about the gospel is that that might be able to be found at Summit. That that might be able to be found in you. May it be found in us here. That we worship Jesus. We're not adding. We're not taking away. We're worshiping Jesus the best way we know how. Following the gospel, his good news. So that when we have conversations like with the guy in the backseat of that convertible, we can point him right to Jesus. I looked at him and I said, man, I'm sorry. On behalf of all the Christian school peeps, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and I'll be praying for you. Can I pray for you right now? He said, "I, I'm good. Talk about being cut to the heart. Talk about being cut to the heart. May God cut us to the heart with the truth of His Gospel and the heart He has for the people that we know. The love that He has for the people that don't yet know Him. This Gospel is for everyone. Will you pray with me?